Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 26. Welcome back. I'm Ryan Gray, your host, with you for another session of the Medical School HQ Podcast, the podcast about medical school where we take you through the pre-med process, medical school, and even through residency. We're here to take your knowledge of becoming a physician to the next level. Today, I have another great duo of guests for you today. I have Jonathan and Patrick, they are both third-year medical students out at Toro, and they wrote a brief guide to osteopathic medicine for students by students. And this is a guide that they wrote to explain to pre-med students coming up through the ranks that an osteopathic physician is a physician, and, and hopefully... And I know that they're getting their point across in this guide. And hopefully during our conversation today, you'll be able to see and hear what they have to offer. And one of the biggest parts of this guide are the six myths of osteopathic medicine. And we go through each of those myths. So uh, before we get started on that, though, something I've been doing recently, reading some of the five-star reviews that people have left for us. Today we have two reviews, both five stars, so thank you very much. One is from Labot09, a five-star rating, very informative and authentic, and the other one is from STL Cardinal 58 great valuable information for pre-meds and post-backs. So thank you uh, to those two people for leaving five-star ratings, and nice reviews. If you haven't had the chance yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and that will bring you to our iTunes page where you can click leave a review. That helps us because when people go into iTunes and search for medical school or search pre-med, uh, we'll be higher up on the list because you're telling iTunes that we're valuable, so iTunes will show us to more people. So if you haven't had a chance yet and you want to give us a review, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. Something else I've been pushing for a lot lately is for you to continue our conversation. The conversations that we have on the podcast, I do not want to end as soon as you hit stop. And hopefully you're listening to the whole podcast before you hit stop, but I want you to listen to the podcast, listen to what the guests are saying, listen to what I am saying, 
if I don't have a guest on or what uh, Allison, my wife, my my frequent co-host says, and we want you to interact. We want to know what you think about what we're saying and what you think about the podcast. We've, we have been hearing some great stuff. I get a ton of great emails from you guys, and I want to keep hearing it. So if you have some questions for us, if you have any questions for the guests, you got three ways to get in touch with us. You can... Follow us on Twitter and send us some tweets. We're at Medical School HQ. You can email us. Our email address for the show is feedback at medicalschoolhq.net. You can email me directly, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Or the last step, you can go to the show notes. You can leave a comment on the show notes. This is probably the best way if you want to interact with our guests. You can get the show notes always at medicalschoolhq.net slash session and then the number. So today is medicalschoolhq.net slash session 26. And so moving forward, uh, you can easily get to any of the show notes. Let's jump into the interview with Patrick and Jonathan. They bounce back and forth uh, between the two of them. There are some sound issues intermittently. One of their uh, roommates was cooking and uh, we changed some uh, locations a couple times to help improve the, the call quality. So if you're struggling to hear for a minute, stick with it. It gets better. And hopefully uh, you get some great information from the interview. To start, I asked Jonathan, who answers first, I asked what his path to medicine has been. Um, well, I kind of knew that I wanted to do medicine in high school, we had an internship that I spent at UCI Medical Center. And from there, uh, I went into bioengineering at UCLA, kind of as a fallback in case I didn't get in. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I applied to med school and got in. So Okay, and you applied to both MD and DO programs. Correct, yeah. And was that decision based on location of schools or did you did you just look at numbers overall and say these are the MD programs that fit with my numbers, these are the DO programs that fit with my numbers, I don't care if I go to either one? Uh, it was a little bit of both. Um, I definitely tried to choose schools that were more in, within my range and then for the DO schools mostly is for location and um, price range. Okay. Uh, situation. Okay. And Patrick, uh, what about you? Yeah, for me, um, I am a little bit different. I decided to go to medical school uh, in my junior year of college. So uh, we, I also attended UCLA, but I was a microbiology major. Um, so much more in the life sciences. I was playing around with the idea of um, maybe going to public health. Uh, maybe going to something like hospital administration, so something more on the bigger picture. Um, but I decided um, medicine was a field that I could really uh, learn for my entire lifetime, and that's one aspect that I really liked about it. Uh, same with Jonathan. I applied to both DO and MD schools. Um, at the time, I knew that, if anything, I wanted to be a primary care doctor. So for me, um, neither... Both DO and MD uh, had basically the same opportunities uh, for primary care medicine. Um, 
And then, yeah, and it worked out. I mean, I'm in a DO school. I'm also uh, studying to have an MPH. So I'm doing a a dual degree, and it worked out um, for both of my interests, medicine and and public health. Okay. And both of you are at Toro in California? Yes. We're both third years. Okay. And during the application process, a, a big question that comes up among students applying to medical schools is when they apply to both MD and DO schools is when you're at an MD school interviewing, do they ask if you applied to DO schools? And when you're at the DO school interviewing, do they ask if you applied to the MD schools? Did did you encounter any of that on your, on the interview trail? Honestly? Yeah. I, I, for me, um, the schools that I interviewed with, they kind of just asked me where else I was interviewing. So it wasn't really directed towards D or MD, but I just told them, uh, and I think it's best to be honest, because a lot of times uh, they just want to know more about you. And I don't think it's to your detriment to just um, say that you're what you're doing, um, because in this day, like it's it's so competitive that they understand that you're just trying to maximize your your chances to get into medical school. The same thing happened to me as well. Um, I don't think it. It it didn't really hurt my chances, I don't think. They just wanted to get a better feel for the applicant. Okay. So both of you get accepted to Toro. What was the reaction among friends and family when you said, hey, I'm going to Toro, it's an osteopathic medical school. Did, did they go, I thought you wanted to go to medical school. What, what what kind of reaction did you get? It wasn't, uh, for me, it wasn't uh, one that I expected. Um, we have some input from uh, family overseas in Hong Kong, and over there they they told us that, you know, it'd be better for me to go overseas somewhere, maybe to Europe or even the Caribbean, to, to go to medical school rather than a DO school. Really? Because... Yeah. So they, they told me to wait a year, but um, I just, I went with my gut and just what I knew about DO schools and their philosophy and their teachings and OMT, I felt really convicted and uh, I trusted myself and the path that I was going down. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, so my sister, uh, older sister, she is uh, an MD. Um, so when I was applying to medical school, she was, uh, in medical school in her last year and she, she had friends that were going, um, into DO school or were already in DO school. So for me, for my family, um, I feel like my family was fortunate in that they're pretty well educated in what DO is. Um, so in that sense, they were very supportive. It took them a while to get used to the idea because they were they didn't have as much familiarity with the DO. Um, but I think that there wasn't as uh, much barrier as um, I've, I've observed in some other uh, of my friends or um, people that I've, I've met. Okay. And once you get into school... I, I, you guys, I, I was introduced to you guys because you wrote what is known as a brief guide to osteopathic medicine, which the, the ACOM picked up and now promotes it on their website. How did you guys come to writing that guide? 
Yeah, so the original impetus for the guidebook um, actually came when we were first years, finishing our uh, first year of school. Um, we were doing a inter- an internship, a preceptorship at uh, with the California Academy of Family Practitioners, the CAFP. Um, and we were just talking with each other and just uh, recognizing together that we had a similar experience, that we wanted something for pre-medical students to have to be a tangible, accessible, user-friendly um, resource that can educate uh, properly, you know, what a DO is and osteopathic medical, medical school in general. And uh, we just felt that we, we just felt there was a gap, and um, in terms of what our experience was uh, applying to DO schools, and just the vibe and kind of the thoughts that were bounced around when we were undergrads. Okay, when when you're undergrad uh, at um, UCLA, and uh, I'm I'm assuming they have a pre-health or pre-med advising team or advisor at least what was your experience with the advisor at the school and their knowledge of osteopathic medical schools and applying to them and and kind of the differences between md and do um if i mean from my experience i didn't really use my pre-med advisors probably as much as i should have uh but um, I don't know if Jonathan has any different experience with that. Um, I did go to the pre-med advisor once, um, but it wasn't, I guess it wasn't geared, that meeting wasn't geared towards uh, finding more about uh, the DO profession. It's more kind of evaluating myself and how strong of an applicant I was. Okay. Yeah. S- since you brought it up, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask, why didn't you utilize your advisors and, and what were you using instead? That's a good question. <laughs> um, at the time, I think I was kind of, uh, kind of relying on the fact that my sister was <laughs> in medical school and she, I was getting a lot of um, feedback from her and just her, uh, her friends that were also in school. Um, Maybe I should have used the resources that were uh, that were out there for me, but I was actually using Student Doctor as well, yep. um, definitely, and talking with um, other classmates who were you know in uh, the various pre medical fraternities clubs uh, on campus. There are a lot of them at UCLA, um, so that was definitely uh, there too. Okay, and Jonathan, what about you? For me, uh, a large part were my friends who were also pre-med and kind of along the same track. They were bioengineers and uh, definitely SDN was a big part of that as well. Okay. Um, I didn't really have any family in the U.S. who were uh, in the medical field, but I did have some in Hong Kong who, were, who, are, who went to medical school there. So, Okay. And since you mentioned Student Doctor Network... <laughs> what was your overall experience with it and, and using it? I'll go first. My thoughts on SDN, it's definitely a unique resource. Um, it's the one place where pre-medical students, medical students, and physicians, as well as residents, can, uh, can come at the same forum to, to talk about 
things pertaining to the medical field. I think that's invaluable. Uh, so I do think um, there is some uniqueness, some distinctiveness in that aspect. Uh, the problem with SDN is that there's uh, such a diversity. And um, one of its biggest strengths is also its biggest weakness. Um, and a lot of times that, that comes with some misinformation, some rumors, some myths, um, especially about the DO prof profession, I feel. Um, and sometimes there's a lot of um, putting down uh, because the, uh, the site is all anonymous, so you can't really know who's talking to you. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that um, might hinder people from being as open as they can uh, about some things because uh, they are worried about the response they get from other members. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big thing. Uh, students are are able to kind of hide behind their nickname, and and nobody really knows who they are. So that there's a, a more of a it's easier to put somebody down than if if you're using your real name and everybody knows you. So, Jonathan, do you have a, a similar experience with SDN? I did. Um, I think at the same time, because of the anonymity. Uh, for some people, it may allow them to kind of divulge a little bit more and not be as afraid of either being recognized or just uh, be able to seek help anonymously. Um, but as far as uh, as a resource, SDN, I feel, is... Um, I think it's really nice to have so many people contribute, whether they're fellow pre-meds, you know, despite the the uh, the, the flaming the flame wars, <laughs> yeah, the flame wars, and just the trolling, the trolling, and uh, okay, just the yeah, okay, that aspect. Yeah. So one of the biggest things on Student Doctor Network is the what are my chances right. form, right. Mm -hmm. and students, pre med students, will go in there and. And say, here's my GPA, here's my MCAT score, these are the kind of schools that I'm thinking about applying to. And it, you'll see very often responses that say, your, your grades aren't good enough to get into an MD school, mm -hmm. a, apply to DO. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, do, what do you guys think of that statement? Honestly, I understand the mentality and I understand where they're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, but you can't deny that there's a statistical difference between MD and DO schools. Um, maybe not as much in the GPA realm, but for sure in the MCAT, uh, there's definitely, a, you know, at least a three or four point difference in the average. So well, while I don't agree with the mentality I do see why they would say that. Yeah, the practicality is, it makes sense if their sole purpose is to get into medical school. Okay, uh, I think, so, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the, the biggest problem I have with it is it precipitates this uh, or perpetuates this um, idea that DOs, the DO profession is a second choice profession. 
And that's exactly what we hope to sort of um, deal with in the guidebook. And one of the many um, aspects, one of the many points of the guidebook is that, you know, DOs don't deserve the, that um, kind of misconception. So, so that, that kind of brings me to my, my next question is, or next point, I guess. If to get away from that mentality, students should want to go into DO for the specific reasons that the DO curriculum offers. And, and the, the main difference, for those that don't know, that really the main difference is an extra course called uh, OMT, Osteopathic uh, Manipulative Treatment or Therapy, correct? And, yes. and there's there's the whole different viewpoint, which osteopathic school kind of is the the holistic thinking, and, and but beyond that, OMT is one of the biggest differences, and and obviously you guys can explain a little bit more of the differences, and we'll get into it in a little bit. But to to get away from that mentality, mm-hmm. wouldn't you think it's better if we start we as a profession and we as medical schools start targeting students that specifically want to go into DO school that only apply to DO school and not MD schools because of those reasons. Yeah, I, I, I can see um, the value in something like that. Uh, the problem is that... Uh, Usually when students apply to medical school, they're not going to be restrictive. Um, They're going to, you know, the the draw of being a a physician, um, if it is really your calling, it's something that's so strong that you would want to maximize any chance you can get to be a physician. Um, I do think that, you know, DO should or DO schools should recruit students who are specifically interested in the osteopathic philosophy, but I do, uh, at the same time, I understand that it's difficult to tease out the ones who actually are, because even on SDN, we can see that uh, students have various strategies of saying, you know, this is what you should say at an interview, or this is what you should put in your personal statement to be more uh, DO friendly, so to speak. Okay. If, if a school how does how does a school try to find a student like that like yeah. what what experiences if you had any before you you started a do school before you applied to a do school what experiences did you have with an osteopathic physician if any that mm-hmm. kind of opened your eyes to the do world and what it could offer and and if you would like that well for me uh with my shadow experience Shadowing experience under a DO, I felt that, um, uh, I mean, it, it's hard to, you know, evaluate an entire profession based on one person. Um, but for me, he was a great role model and all his patients loved him. And that's the kind of doctor I wanted to be. So. Did he I use OMT? Of, he did not use OMT, which was, um. A bummer, but I, I had to look that up on myself by myself. Okay. Uh, for me, I mean, I didn't actually shadow a DO before I came to DO school. 
I, sh- uh, I actually only shadowed really one physician. He was an MD and he was a GI doctor. So I don't know if it's necessarily the, uh, the best role model for an osteopathic uh, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but as far as the, uh, I guess the experience that I had with the profession before, I mean, for me, it's limited, but I think a lot of students, um, especially our classmates here at Turo, um, some of them have been, you know, uh, interested in the osteopathic philosophy for, for quite some time. And we have, uh, we have students that uh, were previously, you know, massage therapists, uh, you know, PTs, um, people that are very involved in uh, manipulative medicine, physical medicine. And I think that is a very important um, aspect as far as finding a candidate. And um, just listening to your podcast with uh, the admissions officer from Kirksville, you know, he, he kind of hit on some things that it's, it's a very, it's subtle. And you have to kind of pick up these things from the personal statement, the application as a whole, and the applicant um, when they come in for interview. Okay. And for and for those listening that maybe this is their first time listening to me, I am not anti-DO. <laughs> I'm just bringing up conversations that I think we need to have so that, it, n- number one, we decrease some of the animosity between MD and DOs and educate more people about DOs. And the the ultimate goal is, is patient care. And, and if we get specific applicants to DO schools for specific reasons like OMT, in the end, the patients benefit from that. And, and that's why I, I kind of discuss this kind of stuff. And sometimes, right. sometimes I, it, it might be a little harsh, what the questions I ask, but it's, it's just to open up a dialogue. I definitely agree. And I think um, something Jonathan and I were discussing, uh, just in terms of what makes a DO different, um, some, some of the opinion that you know, the main thing is OMT. And we agree with that, you know, that is a big part. But we feel that there is a, a philosophical, a philosophical um, distinction, a, 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 a uniqueness. Um, but at the same time, we do think that they're, so to speak, osteopathically minded MDs. And that there is a bunch of overlap between how an MD thinks and how a DO thinks. Yeah, I love that word. The uh- osteopathic-minded MD. That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's let's dig into your guide, a brief mm-hmm. guide to osteopathic medicine. One of the biggest things in there are the, the myths of osteopathic medicine. Why don't we run through some of those myths and, and discuss why you pick those myths and the answers to those myths? Sure, so... Um... Basically, there are six main myths that we go through in the guide. Uh, the first one is the most obvious. DOs are not real doctors. Um, and we'll kind of alternate uh, so we can each have our say. But I think this is pretty obvious when you uh, actually have experience with the osteopathic profession. You will immediately know that DOs have a full uh, scope of practice, um, very similar to that of MDs. So... Before we move on to the next one, I don't know if you're going to talk about that one anymore. One of the problems with that is that in in other countries, a DO, there is a DO degree, 
and it's it's they're not physicians they're they're osteopathists or whatever you call it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a degree of osteopathy right they they're very similar to maybe chiropractors mm-hmm. um but they're not physicians and so that's right. where a lot of maybe the the confusion comes in mm-hmm. right yeah it, it ties into the the sixth um point so we can kind of talk touch on that right now okay um, so the yeah the osteopaths is what you're referring to and mm-hmm. uh, mainly that's uh in europe um i think they're also in australia and some other countries um but it came out of it's born out of the fact that um back in the day when at still came up with osteopathy um you know it was a, mani- a manipulative treatment it was uh, primarily physical medicine um and he kind of rejected most drugs um, that were used during that time. Um, so I think that's where that's born out of. And I, I do think that it causes a significant amount of confusion. Um, and that's part of the reason why we included that in, um, in the myth versus fact uh, portion. Okay. And let's be honest, back in the day when, when AT still kind of came up with the the Dio philosophy, a lot of what they were doing was just barbaric treatment. So right. <laughs> no treatment was probably better than what we were doing. Exactly. <laughs> All right. What's uh what's the next myth? The uh, next myth is that uh DOs have limited practice rights. And so this kind of uh this is kind of where my family was coming from. Uh from people in Hong Kong who who had a different view of DOs and why they were discouraging me from practicing or going to DO school. Um, but the actuality is that DOs do have full practice rights in the U.S. and they are considered you know, full physicians and can go into various specialties, residencies, just as well as MDs. Um, but they do have limited practice rights in other countries as as uh, Dr. Gray, you and Patrick touched on, um, because they are osteopaths and trained solely in uh, manipulation. Do you see that changing anytime in the future? Do, do you know, being on the inside of, of the DIA world, do you know of any progress towards uh, making the DIA degree more uniform throughout the, the world? Right. Um, that's a great question. Uh, so when we put this guidebook out, there were 45 countries uh, that uh, granted full medical practice rights to DOs. Um, and since then, I know of a significant uh, country slash continent that uh, recently is uh, recognizing DOs as well, and that's Australia. And just a few few months ago, they uh, granted full practice rights to uh, osteopathic physicians trained in the U.S. They made the distinction that it is different than a DO, an osteopath, um, trained at a only manipulative therapy school. Um, so I think there's, there are great strides that are coming about. And I think it takes uh, this kind of advocacy and on the part, of, the part of the profession to get our name out there to, to make, make it um, clear that we are physicians. Okay. Awesome. Um, so the next uh, point that we made... <coughs> Uh, osteopathic medicine is a drugless form of medicine. This is often a contention that people have. And actually, um, some of my friends that asked me about DO school, 
they're like, they asked me, um, so do you guys learn pharmacology in school? And it's just funny to me because I, I can kind of understand uh, where this myth is coming from because, you know, as we said, historically, H.E. still uh, shied away from drugs. But since, um, you know, the 20s, uh, the full scope of pharmacology has been in osteopathic curriculum. So that's nothing, nothing new as far as um, that goes. Okay. Next, the next myth? myth is that uh, DOs are similar to chiropractors. Mm-hmm. Um, reality is that, yes, uh, we do have manipulative techniques, and they have manipulative techniques, and some of them do share similarities. Um, but from my experience, uh, it seems that their, their philosophies are different. Um, I can't really touch on the, the nuances of each philosophy uh, and their differences, but um, we do have a detailed breakdown in another chapter. For those listening, I'll link to the guide that you guys wrote in the show notes, and you can find that at medicalschoolhq.net slash session 26. So they can easily find that, the guide. Yeah, and I think uh, just to add to you know, what Jonathan said, we don't deny that there are similarities. Um, and, you know, people aren't necessarily aware of this, but uh, Palmer, the founder of chiropractic, he actually studied under Still. Um, so he attended classes um, uh, at Still School, and he took ideas and made uh, his own school of thought, chiropractic, and then created his own school. So uh, they've been separate for, you know, over a a century now, uh, osteop- osteopathy and, and chiropractic. Um, so, you know, osteopathic medicine has come a long way and it's uh, grown into something that's, um, you know, more uh, reflective of a full scope of practice uh, versus chiropractic has mostly, you know, stayed to manipulative medicine, um, though they do, you know, have their own scope um, that is quite extensive as well. So we just we wanted to make that distinction because uh, sometimes the two professions are confused. Okay. One of the are there any more myths? I think we hit six. One, two, three. I think we hit yeah all of them. Okay. One of the things that that I, I had actually written an article about, and again I'll link to that in the show notes. But the question of having a DO degree in the first place. And what made me think about it was around, I think, 2010, there was a push to, because of the confusion of DOs in the in the general public's eyes, there was a push to change the degree's name to something like MDDO to, to make it so the public understands that you are a physician, but you also have this special training at, of a DO. And... It got me thinking that maybe DOs, again, going back to that, a a DO should want to practice the techniques of OMT and and use that on their patients for the patient's benefit. And I I argued that if that's the case, then DOs should really only stick to the primary care specialties, if you want to call a primary care specialty. But anyway, like... 
pediatrics, internal medicine, family practice, the, the kind of environments where you can practice OMT. And I, I, I made a comment in that article that I don't understand how you do OMT on a, on a corpse for right. osteo, osteopathic um, pathology. Pathologists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole organization of the, os- mm-hmm. the osteopathic pathologists. And, right. and so it kind of confused me and, and, and maybe you guys can, can kind of give me some counterpoints to that and, and argue against that. And we'll, go further into talking about some career options for the osteopathic physicians? Great. Yeah, so I actually um, disagree, you know, respectfully with you um, on that, that, you know, DOs should be restricted to primary care. Um, and, you know, my thinking is this. Um, when we teach uh, in medicine, when we teach medical school, um, there's a bunch of different aspects, you know, there's anatomy, uh, there's physiology, there's pathology, there's, you know, doctoring skills. But in the end, you know, you're not going to use all of those, uh, that knowledge that you're taught in medical school um, in practice. It's just uh, not realistic. Um, So uh, the question is whether you think that OMM is something that is vital to uh, a medical doctor's training or an osteopathic medical doctor's training, regardless of the profession. So in my opinion, you know, not every DO student is necessarily the best person at OMM. So just like some, how some students are better at anatomy or better at surgery or better at radiology, some students are just naturally going to be better at OMM. And so I don't think uh, DO schools have the intention that all their graduates are going to be you know, these master manipulators that are just going to cure everything through OMM. And I had, uh, you know, an MD attending uh, on my internal medicine rotation who uh, was, was complaining of neck pain, and she was asking me if there was anything I could, do, I could do for her. You know, I being, you know, well-versed in OMT, but not necessarily the best, I referred her to one of my medical student colleagues and, who, was, who was just amazing at it. Um, and, and then she, she, she replied to me, you know, aren't, aren't, you, aren't, aren't you all supposed to be a good at OMM? And um, so I think there is this spectrum um, of students in terms of their OMM skills. And what DO does, uh, what DO school does um, and why it's unique, it, it gives you an appreciation of some, you know, basic skills that you can take into your practice of whatever field of medicine you're, you're going to go into. And, you know, the people who were good at OMM, who were really interested in OMM in school, surprise, surprise, they come out as the ones who want to integrate it into their practice and, you know, do it on a regular basis. So the question comes down to whether or not you feel, you know, manipulation, osteopathic, osteopathic philosophy are vital components of a medical student's training. And so that's kind of where I differ from, uh, from that. Okay. Jonathan, you have any comments on that? Uh, just a little bit to add is that uh, let me gather my thoughts here. Um, I think it's really hard to compartmentalize each aspect of medicine because, you know, 
as physicians, we're going to integrate all our knowledge, all we've learned, all we know to treat the patient. I feel like it's necessary to, um, that even though OMT is the most distinctive part of DO school versus an MD school, it's, it's not off on its own kind of curriculum. It's integrated into our anatomy uh, class, our pathology class, our um, microbio, et cetera. Um, and what I feel is really uh, invaluable about learning OMT and just learning medicine at a DO school and being able to specialize as opposed to being restricted to primary care is that even though, like Patrick said, not, ev not each one of us is you know, the best at OMM, we're, we're aware of it, we're aware of what it can do. And because of that, you know, if, if we see patients who we feel may need OMM, but we may not be the best uh, people to do it for them, we, we can refer them to those who can and are able to. So I think that that can also be invaluable as, you know, some people go for years to the same doctor, but they're, they may not be aware of, you know, different opportunities or different uh, venues or modalities. just modalities, exactly, of treating a particular condition that they have at, that they've, you know, kind of dealt with and tolerated for many years. Okay, that's interesting. So it's more of having an exposure to it, knowing about it, and whether or not you use it mm -hmm. or, or able to refer to other physicians that may use it. But what about if I'm an MD, and, and for, again, for those listening, back I think in my first episode, I talked about the fact that, I don't know if I did or not, the, the fact that I actually looked at going to DO school specifically for the kind of holistic philosophy. And because I was an exercise physiology major, it kind of just tied into the, the DO world a lot. But now that I'm an MD, what if I wanted to learn OMM? Right. And I think that's a really important um, uh, just aspect of the future of the profession in general. I think... Um, as as more GOs kind of enter this uh, allopathic world and are really the advocates of our profession, uh, I think more MDs will begin to see the benefit of OMM. And, you know, already DO, DO um, residents who are in MD programs, they're already getting the word out there. They're already uh, giving lectures on what the benefits of OMM are. There's already courses that MDs can take and I think um, even Harvard Medical School has an integrative medicine course that teaches OMM. So I think it's, there's definitely um, things to come in the future. And I do think that MDs should learn OMM. Um, and I, uh, I don't want to restrict OMM to being, you know, the best kept secret of medicine. I want, uh, you know, and I'm sure Johnny as, as well, we both want, and the profession in general wants OMM to be, utilized so that it gets to the right people. Right. So one of the changes that's on the horizon, I think it's 2000, 2015, is the 
the ACGME and the AOA merging residency programs so that they're going to be duly accredited. Um, and so MDs can go to what used to be a, a DO only program and DOs have always been able to go to MD programs, but now it's just kind of a, a free flowing uh, program all around. Do you guys think that's a, a good thing? Sure. There's uh, so there are you know pros and cons of everything, and I think we, what we have to accept is that uh, to put it you know bluntly, osteopathic physicians are a minority, and we know that. And uh, I think that one of the biggest benefits is that uh, we're all going to be all the residency programs are going to be held to the same standard. And I think that's a great move. Um, as far as what, you know, it will mean for osteopathic medicine, the uniqueness of it, you know, where it is um, going to lie in the medical world, I think that's really up to, you know, this new generation of DOs that's coming in. And that's why I think this advocacy that the Brief Guide and other projects um, getting the word out there is really important because uh, the opinions of, of DOs gra graduating now and in, in years to come those are the people who are going to be, you know, keeping OMM alive and well in the community. Okay. So one, one quick follow-up to, to what we were kind of just talking about as far as career options for a, a DO, a, an osteopathic physicians. For those, again, for those listening that might not know a lot about it, that, a DO can do anything and everything. There's there's no holds barred, right? Correct. Right. And there's they they are full full fledged doctors in every state. The salaries are the same. It, pretty much everything is the same except the two letters after your name. Yes. So, uh, all right. What kind of last minute parting? advice would you have for somebody that is on the fence about whether or not to apply to a DO school or, or what would you say to, to sell somebody on going to DO school? Uh, so I can kind of comment on just how going to an osteopathic medical school has affected me in my training. Um, I think to have labs where you actually, you know, induce a change that you can actually feel um, just by adding a little force here and there, keeping certain parts of the body in a certain position, you can actually change someone's physiology, their, their pain, their range of motion, their level of functioning. And I think that's enough to change anyone's perspective on just how powerful the body's self-healing capability is. And, you know, that's one of the tenets of osteopathic um, philosophy is that the body heals itself. And um, if you have that kind of viewpoint, you know, if you, you know, believe strongly in uh, the ability for a, a patient to pretty much heal, its, heal, heal him or herself, given the right tools, given the right medications, um, given the right environment, then I think a DO school is uh, definitely in line with that philosophy. 
Okay. Jonathan, what do you got? And for me, I think uh, really education is key. And that's one of the reasons why we started on the guide and put it out there is that we want people to be, to make an informed decision for themselves. Um, because there, there is a lack of consolidated resources and um, that's what we wanted to give the community. Okay. Yeah, I I think that's that really is it is is the education and right starting younger and younger and yes. I I think there's a I don't know if it was you guys that I was talking to there's there's going to be a big push from the the AOA to push kind of that uh media coverage about mm. DOs and mm-hmm. and what they are and what they do. Yeah, and I I agree with that. Our idea what originally when we um kind of were developed in the guide was that, you know, pre-meds, while they're busy, they're not as busy as medical students or doctors. So there is uh, some additional time that they have that they can, you know, be further educating their peers, their family, just anyone that they talk to. So if we get the word out to pre-meds, then we're hoping that they can spread the word. Okay. So for all you pre-meds out there, uh, come onto the show notes page, get the link to the uh, brief guide to osteopathic medicine and bring it into your pre-med advisor's office. That would be amazing. That would be (laughs) awesome. If everyone could do that who's listening right now, go you. Outstanding. I hope you guys got some great information from Patrick and Jonathan. I hope you were able to stick through some of the the poor poor quality uh, sound sections. The information I thought was excellent, the six myths that we went through, I I think are some of the biggest myths out there about osteopathic medicine. And I think what we really need to do is just keep opening up this dialogue with osteopathic physicians and allopathic physicians, osteopathic medical schools, allopathic medical schools, and come to a conclusion of what needs to be done in the end for better patient care. So, Everything we talked about today, including the brief guide to osteopathic medicine, including the article that I wrote that questioned whether or not we should even have a, a, a separate osteopathic uh, medical degree, and uh, everything else that we talked about, you can find that, again, at the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash session 26. You'll find all the links there. You can leave a comment. As, as Patrick and Jonathan were saying, if your pre-med office does not offer a lot of osteopathic information, print out this guide, give it to them, send them an email with the link in, in, the, uh, in the email to this guide and, and share the knowledge. So again, hopefully you guys got some great information. I hope everything that we provide you helps better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Make sure to join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.
Hopefully I didn't scare you. If you're still listening, I don't know why you would be, but if you are, jump onto Twitter, let me know you heard this, at Medical School HQ.